What's up, guys? Chris here. Thanks for tuning in to episode 59 of Chrome Dome Radio. We're here and we're doing it. We're having a good time. I uh, got my cream soda, Zevia. Hey, Zevia, sponsor. Uh, and we're ready to go, guys. Uh, I was thinking of doing something a little bit different today. You know, switch it up. And I was, uh, I've been recently been fascinated by the story of John DeLorean. You guys may... You guys may recognize a car of his that he designed called, hey, the DeLorean, right? From Back to the Future. Specifically, the model right here, the DMC-12. Uh, I think I got, like, I randomly got, like, interested in his story. I've always been interested by it because it's, it's a fascinating story. And look... I looked into it a little bit more recently. The dude is a straight-up Martin Scorsese plot. I mean, he went from being this, like, engineer at a school to being, like, an automotive industry tycoon rock star guy, and which led to his, uh, his demise after a drug scandal. And I didn't even know the specifics of it, but it's an extremely fascinating story. And I thought it'd make a good episode, guys. You know? Because I'm doing the car thing now. I'm, I'm being, I'm totally engulfed in cars right now. I, ever since I got my my old Trans Trans Am back, I've I've been right back in it, dude. Like right back where I was, you know, 10, 12, 15 years ago, and I was all about the cars. So right now I'm all about the cars. So let's do this, John DeLorean. Um, you know, he I actually thought he was a German guy this whole time. <laughs> He's not. He was born in America. The good old U.S. of A. Where else other than Detroit, Michigan? The 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 uh, the car guy himself, born in Detroit, Michigan, in 1925, and he crushed in school, guys. He was a smart fella. Uh, all the honors programs throughout high school, throughout college, and he ended up uh, out of college working for the Packard Motor Company, and I think one other job after that. But he really he really rose to prominence. In the uh, with General Motors, he joined General Motors in like the late fifties. I'm sorry, in the uh, yeah the late fifties, and he specifically joined the Pontiac division. Um, it, it, joining Pontiac was a big deal because at the time it was really all about the Fords and Chevy, Chevys, and really like the third, I guess, big car company at the time was Pontiac, right? So. Um, he went on to design some cars, and most notably, he does, he uh, he helped launch and design the GTO, which is a huge deal because the GTO in the car world is considered not only the greatest muscle car of all time, but the first muscle car. And he had a lot of ideas that led to what we now know as the GTO. You know, putting a V8 in in a in a car like that, and really just invent what we now. No, as the muscle car. Uh, originally, it was like a package to the Tempest Le Mans, and it eventually became a car of its own. Um, and then um, he, it didn't take long for him to basically become like the like a division head within GM. And actually, he became the youngest division head in the company's history. I mean, the dude's crushing it already early on. I mean, we're not even getting to the into the meat of the story yet, and he's crushing it early on, right? So GM says, "Look, 
You did a bang-up job with the GTO. We dig it. It's selling. Everybody loves it. Why don't you take on this other thing we're trying to do? You know, we're trying to build a uh, sporty little sporty little uh, two-door sports coupe type thing, right? So he comes up with a couple ideas, and he comes up with a concept called the Pontiac Banshee. Now, the interesting thing about the Banshee is Pontiac has used that name for their concept cars for a long time. There was always the Banshee. There was the Banshee 1, the Banshee 2, then the Banshee 3. But he designed the OG, and he presents it to GM, and they say, hold your horses, dude. Hold your horses. This is cool and all, but it's very Corvette-y. And throughout GM's history, they always, they don't want to screw with the Corvette. Like, the Corvette's got its own thing. Like, even now, the Corvette is the only car in the, in the GM line. You might have to check me on this one, but I'm pretty sure the Corvette is the only car in the GM line that has 100% Corvette-built parts. It wasn't always like that. Throughout history, they generally would borrow other GM parts, but right now it's being designed and built with exclusive Corvette parts. That's their baby, man. To GM, the Corvette's the untouchable. So they said, look, your, your, your Pontiac Banshee's cool and all, but it's a little bit too Corvette-y, and you can't touch the Corvette. So, here, try again. So they say, we got another cool car coming out. We're calling it the Chevrolet Camaro. Why don't you see what you can do for that over at Pontiac? So he says, okay. So what does he, what does he come up with, guys? Hey, the Pontiac Firebird. Okay? So now, dude starts off his career with Pontiac with the GTO and the Firebird. The, arguably the two biggest... Biggest names in the history of the Pontiac company. That's the two biggest cars, right? Those are just famous names. Everybody knows those names, GTO and the Firebird. And then he went on from there to help out with the... I'm reading notes, by the way, because I don't want to forget to say certain things. Because it's like when you're telling a story about somebody, you don't want to forget parts. Because like each little piece of it's important for the theme. So, <laughs> And then I have here, he also helped design the Grand Prix, which is a big deal too because the Grand Prix went on to also be a very successful car all the way out through the 90s. Uh, it even, I think the car ended in, they were building it all the way through 2008 when the company uh, eventually met its own demise. And I say that because uh, DeLorean's story doesn't end well. We're getting there. He had so much success with the Firebird and the GTO, and then the Grand Prix, that he, um, he he sort of became, people kind of recognized him as being somewhat of the rebel in the auto industry, right? Because he was going out there and kind of living a rock star life. You know, he was dating celebrities, and he was going on like Johnny Carson, and he was promoting, and he was marketing, and just being a badass, dude, Right? If anything, he was probably, I mean, kind of like an Elon Musk, right? Elon Musk goes on uh, goes on Joe Rogan and smokes Adobe. <laughs> so, uh, from there, because, because now he's got a name, right? Now they're like, oh, John DeLorean, that's a big dude. So, GM says, hey, why don't you come over to the big boys now, right? Take a, tell Pontiac to take a hike, you're coming over to Chevrolet, which is obviously the biggest, uh, the biggest division of of General Motors goes over to Chevrolet and they give him this project to basically help launch 
the Chevrolet Vega. Now, this is when uh, he ran into a few problems, right? So he really, he had a lot of pride in the products that he was putting out. He's an engineer, right? He wants to put out good stuff. He wants to put out reliable vehicles. And uh, so he, 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 he helps launch the Vega. He's going on TV shows, interviews, and he helps. He, he basically contacts Motor Trend and says, hey, we got this new thing coming out. It's going to be the most reliable car on the road, and it's going to outperform anything in its class. You know, the, the whole car runaround thing, but he, I believe that he generally believed this. And, uh, you know, he oversaw the production. And the, what, they, what Chevy did was they released the first 2,000 vehicles off the Chevy line. The first 2,000 Vegas go through, like, this rigorous testing, right? And they're like, this car is badass. It's performing. It, it's going to sell at a great price. And, uh, and it's going to crush. But GM decided to come in and say, hold on. It's a little expensive to be putting this thing out. We got to cut costs. And they did. And in doing so, it led to cars not being built properly. It led to safety issues. And really eventually led to the Vega not being too hot of a car. Even though it had actually won Motor Trend's car of the year in like 1970 or 1971. I mean, it was a big deal. It was supposed to be a big deal anyway. And, uh, hey, GM screwed it up. You know what it reminds me of? Kind of like when uh, it just happened more recently with the um, Justice League, right? You, you give you get, you get a director like Zack Snyder. He's got a vision for something, and he carries it out. And then for whatever reason, in post-production, <laughs> they, they dissect it, and they take it apart. And they're like, no, we're going to do this here. We're going to do this here instead. And by the end of it, it's something completely different. And it totally screwed the thing up. So the end result of it now... What basically happened is it it naturally it pissed off uh, DeLorean, John DeLorean. And he goes, look, I had something. The bureaucracy, 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 it's a tough word to say for idiots like me. Bureaucracy of uh, GM ruined the car. It's uh, not exactly what I intended. And uh, he left the company in 1973. He said, I'm out. Now, from what I understand, there's a little bit of shade around the exact, you know, reasons why he left the company. Some would say he was fired. I don't think he was fired. I think he left. You are terminated! Um, I know at the time people were saying that he was fired. But hey, what did that do for Mr. John DeLorean is that opened the doors. And now he could really pursue a dream he had had for a long time, which was to, to design his own sports car. Now, his vision was to build the most reliable, most unique, affordable sports car in the history of the automotive industry. And he sought out to do this. And he put together a killer team. You know, he got a designer from Italy, and he got, you know, this from, from this auto industry, and he put together, like, the Avengers, like a whole motley crew of badasses from around the auto industry. And they begun uh, to design the car. It was early on where they were like let's let's build a car with a stainless steel body and that's what you're looking at here in the model and if you're watching the if you're not watching the video you can't see this but hey do you know what the DeLorean looks like you seen back to the future <laughs> anyway the stainless steel panels were revolutionary at the time they don't rust 
And it was kind of a ballsy move to say, nah, we're not going to paint the thing. We're just going to release the bare metal. And it gave the car a really cool appearance. Right off the bat, just the way it looks alone, it's a cool-looking car. Now, if they had more time, they might have said, hey, why don't we try a polished stainless steel, right? Then the whole car would have looked aluminum, I mean, a uh, chrome. That would have been badass looking. In fact, I think I've seen some aftermarket pictures where people did go ahead and do that. They polished the stainless steel, and the whole car looks like chrome, right? Now, part of the design also was to have it only 45 inches tall. So this thing was super aerodynamic. They knew right off the bat they wanted it to be aerodynamic, futuristic looking, have components that were never done on a car before, and most notably, everybody's favorite part of the car is probably this right here, the gullwing doors. Let's see if I can get my door open on my model here. There we go, there's one, there's two. Was this unique to the DeLorean? No. Mercedes had done it, and uh, I can't get this one open. Oh, there we go. Mercedes had done it, and another car I can't think of right now, maybe a Ferrari. It was not unique to the car, but it was unique to what was intended to be the class of cars that this was in, right? This was supposed to basically compete with something probably just under a Corvette, under a Corvette, right? The initial mindset was, let's sell this car for 10 grand in 80s money, <laughs> right? Which is a very reasonable price for a car. Um, they ran into problems. Early on, they knew they needed to piece together this car in such a way that was not necessarily ideal. Furthermore, they had funding issues, right? So they ended up piecing the car together in such a way that it ended up where it's like the, the, the motor was a 2.8 liter V6. It was a Swiss built motor, the PRV 2.8 liter which was not a well-performing vehicle. I mean, uh, motor. They got, uh, like, the struts to hold the, the gullwing doors open were like a German aerodynamics. I mean, this car, it's not uncommon in the auto industry to get parts from different companies from around the world, but this, this car came together in such a way that they never really intended. It's just kind of what they were, they were kind of forced certain directions. Less than ideal, let's say. They came up with such funding issues that they basically opened like a bid and they said hey we're gonna build this factory somewhere we're gonna pump out DeLoreans right who's gonna get it so I think Saudi Arabia put in a bid Puerto Rico put in a bid and who ended up winning was Northern Ireland the Northern Ireland from 1981 was a war-torn war zone they were still fighting so Ireland was in the middle of a war they were, <laughs> they were, the Republic of Ireland was, they were still trying to decide, are we going to be the Republic of Ireland or are we going to be the UK? So in reality, actually, the UK, knowing that this area was poor, plagued by unemployment, they won the bid for like 80, let me see, actually, I wrote it down, 85 million pounds, which works out to be about $120 million, right? So they said, you know, this is a bad area, again, plagued by unemployment. Let's, let's create some jobs. Sounds great, doesn't it? So DeLorean agrees. They put the plant in Ireland. And this led to its own set of issues. Now, there were... 
because it was such a poor area, it led to strikes. It led to decreased quality. The cars weren't put together well. And what I said, what I mean by strikes is they were literal hunger strikes. The hunger strikes had gotten so common that people on the assembly line would die. And then a Catholic priest would shut down the, the, the plant for a day for prayer and mourning. So they were having major production issues. Which is crazy to think, dude. It's like that, it was that common where people people were literally falling off the line. <laughs> uh, the car had a, uh, had a lot of bugs. The cars, for example, the first set of DeLoreans that hit the market. They, so production began in 1981. Start to hit the American market shortly thereafter. And the initial set had bugs, which is not a good way to promote a car. You know, you want the first ones to come out with a little bit of a bang. Right, and that's not what happened here. So, for example, the antenna had an issue. The antenna had a had a, a connection issue to where to the point where the radio didn't work very well. Um, most notably, and uh, and I say that because of the Back to the Future movie, but the alternator wasn't strong enough to power the motor, so the car would actually stall out, and that actually made it to the plot point of not necessarily the plot point, but that was a big scene that led to the suspense at the end of Back to the Future 1. The car literally stalls out in the movie. Right? So <laughs> and what and uh Michael J Fox has to bang his head on the, on the uh on the horn on the steering wheel to get the car started again. Uh furthermore, like I mentioned earlier, it had a 2.8 liter V6, right? This thing was pushing 130 horsepower. 130 horsepower in what was supposed to be a sports car. For those who don't know, that is not fast. In fact, that is slow. I'll say it, it's slow. So slow, in fact, that this car went 0 to 60 in 10.5 seconds. That's bad. In comparison, the Corvette from 1981, the same year, went 0 to 16, 8.1. That's a 2.4 second discrepancy. That's huge. So this car didn't perform. Now, they intended for the 1984 model to have a twin turbo version of the motor, which would have changed the 0 to 60 from 10.5 to 5.8. Which is, come on. Now, you literally go from one of the worst performing cars in your class to one of the best. Not even the Porsche or the Ferrari was going. The Ferrari's going 7 point something, and the Porsche's going like 6.6. I mean, this is beating those cars. If the DeLorean could have gotten to 1984, who knows? This car would have blown up. But it didn't. It didn't make it that long. By, um, by 1982... The factory that I mentioned earlier in, in, in Northern Ireland, they had already been capped at basically working three days a week. They were having such funding issues that they capped production to three days a week, which is no bueno, because then you can't get the cars out. Furthermore, if you ask DeLorean fans what killed the DeLorean, there's obviously a myriad of things. One of the, Another challenge that they had was the great storm that particular year when they're trying to ship things out and make a name for themselves, there was a major storm. 
throughout the north of the United States. So they couldn't even get the cars to their destinations. Furthermore, people weren't even buying cars at the time. They were stuck in their homes. It was that bad of a snow. It was that bad of a winter. So you combine funding issues with production issues with weather issues. I mean, it's just this whole, this whole like fuck fest of crap, you know. <laughs> uh, then the juicy stuff happens. John DeLorean's in debt. His company's in debt. He's doing anything he can for money. Um, in October of 1982, he gets a call for what he believes to be a potential investment opportunity, right? So he goes to this, uh, he goes to this hotel in Los Angeles to see what's up. And, uh, it's a drug deal, guys. It's a big, bad drug deal. And it ended up being a complete setup. He was set up by an FBI informant that I think was actually even one of his neighbors, who may have known he was in a vulnerable state. Who knows? Depends what you believe. But regardless, this whole event is caught on camera, and his famous his famous line from the whole sting is when he opens a giant suitcase of cocaine and says it's worth more than gold. Or it's better than gold, something like that. Um, and yeah, and they take him down, dude. He was trying to do a deal for cocaine that was worth north of $24 million. So, you know, speaking of gold, actually, he also released part of the marketing for the DeLorean was that he released four gold-plated DeLoreans. They were still stainless steel, but they were gold-plated. Only four. That's, that's some shit like a Saudi Arabian prince would be driving around. A gold-plated DeLorean. So, um, yeah, that, I'm telling you, it's, they can make a Scorsese movie out of this guy. I'm so, I, in doing, in, in looking into this guy, I was like, how have they not done this yet? And then sure enough, I found like, they did like a documentary on it a few years ago and like Alec Baldwin played him. And I think they came out with a movie called Driven last year with, uh, I think it came out last year, earlier this year, and it's got Jason Sudeikis in it. But not, not like big budget movies. I mean, you got to think, like, people are interested in stories like this, like huge, like, rich uh, uh, billionaires, millionaires who just, <laughs> who fall from grace. And, I mean, look at, look at Wolf of Wall Street. That was a huge movie. I mean, they could easily make a, I, I'm telling you, in the next couple of years, they're going to do this now. There's going to be a movie about this guy because his story is so, so fascinating. I hope I did a decent job explaining it to you. But th there's actually more now, so... He uh, is eventually acquitted of all charges. But by that point, his reputation had been completely tainted. And he could never really get himself back into the auto industry. So what happened was he actually was able to prove in court in 1984 that it was entrapment. Acquitted of all charges. And I guess technically it was. So you got to imagine too... In 1985 now, so they filmed Back to the Future in 84. 84, the, co the company's already two years gone. The company co co declared bankruptcy in 1982. So the company's already two years gone. So when um, Bob Gale and Robert Zemeckis, the creators of Back to the Future, when they were 
writing the story for Back to the Future. Originally, by the way, in case you don't know this, the original time machine in Back to the Future was supposed to be a refrigerator. <laughs> yeah, a refrigerator. So that obviously didn't pan out. So when they decided they wanted a car, Ford heard about it. And they said, hey, Mustang. Yeah, they wanted to they wanted the Mustang to be the GTO. I mean the GTO, the time machine. And it this is a funny story actually. Bob Gale, one of the creators of Back to the Future said, he actually I think he had a I think he cursed once or twice in his statement, but he basically said, "Hell no. Doc Brown does not drive a Ford Mustang. <laughs> he drives a DeLorean." And what's cool about them making it a DeLorean, there's a lot of things cool about it. First of all, they tried to like tie into the plot line that part of the reason it's a DeLorean is its stainless steel structure, which uh, which helps for uh, uh, the temperature changes in time travel. You know, it's really hot when it goes and really cold when it comes back. The stainless steel construction made the flux dispersal. Look out! Um, and in the end, you got to think, could you imagine any other car as the DeLorean? I mean, the, I keep screwing my words up, as the time machine. You can't. It's such an iconic car now, really because of the movie. If not for the movie, people would have forgotten about this car a long time ago. But the movie created, not just the movie, the trilogy of movies, created this whole sort of uh, cult culture, right, around this car. And people who, people really love this thing. I love this thing. I would love to have one. I think it would be so cool to have a DeLorean sitting in my driveway, right? The car became a character in its own in the movie. You know, it's kind of like, uh, think of like Knight Rider. It's a character. I mean, literally, like the Knight Rider was actually like AI and, and would speak and things. But <laughs> but the DeLorean was most definitely a character in, in the Back to the Future trilogy. And I think that's cool. The um, The decision to use... The DeLorean seemed natural because it's it's futuristic, and um, there was a lot of and you got to think too. Like even <laughs> Doc Brown got himself tied into his own little scandal at the beginning of Back to the Future when he was supposed to be making bombs for the Libyans, but he replaced them with pinball machine parts. <laughs> John DeLorean was so grateful. To the Back to the Future team for choosing the DeLorean as their time machine that he wrote them a letter thanking them and uh, obviously a little too much too late because the company was already gone by then but the company was able to if I if I remember correctly was able to secure the, the rights to the toys right so that probably helped Mr. DeLorean a little bit in his financial woes but he never really completely disappeared. In the 90s, he reemerged saying that he wanted to get back in the game and release another version of the DeLorean, you know, an updated version, something he closer to his original vision. Now, how much of that was BS? I don't know. He could have been looking for investment money. I don't know. And then, uh, you know, in 2000... 2000, there was like another documentary written about him, and the guy was basically living 
a very modest life in a one-bedroom apartment. Really didn't have much money left to, left to his name, and he died in uh, 2005 at the age of 80. So, uh, kind of a sad ending to his legacy, right? Because look, in the end, it's just st- it started off so bright. <laughs> I mean, you go from the GTO to the Firebird, and then you get a little screwed up with the Vega, and then boom, you poop out this thing. <laughs> about the DeLorean and look this car had the potential to be so I mean it already is cool it's already such a cool car but if it had actually performed this would have been the biggest car ever if it actually performed if they had put the twin turbo motor in there and if they had spent more time um, in production of the car if they didn't have the financial woes just the concept of it the idea it was all there man it was all there and unfortunately it just didn't play out and the interesting about it now is that there's so much of a DeLorean following. As crappy as this car was, there's so much of a DeLorean following that just a few years ago, a company who now owns the name of the uh, DMC, the DeLorean Motor Company, they will be putting, or they claim to be putting, the DeLorean back into production. There was an act signed in 2016 that basically allows smaller smaller car companies who are only going to release a limited version of the cars that they could it, it's like a loosened regulation type thing and that basically freed up this company to say hey if that's the case we're going to start building DeLoreans again and they claimed this back in 2016 and uh, so far we haven't seen anything yet you know it's three years later it may sound a little bit familiar, but apparently they've been de- dealing with their own production issues. I don't know how much of that's funding. I don't know how much of that is uh, literal production, like the the uh, the infrastructure of it. I have no idea. But we still have not seen new DeLoreans on the streets. Now, at the time, hey, does this also sound familiar? In 2016, they're saying it's going to look exactly the same, but it's going to perform. It's going to have a modern-day V6. And it's going to have anywhere from three to 400 horsepower, which would be stellar in a car like this. Nothing yet. In fact, you can go to their website. Let's pull it up. And their website really doesn't have much information. Other than, yeah, it's coming one day, right? And it's now, look, we're into, in fact, most recently I read that they'll be having it out in spring of 2019. And hey, that's already gone. So let's see, DeLorean, that cam here. I'll share the screen with you guys so you can see it if you're watching the video, but I'll do my best to describe what I'm looking at here. All right, so here's the website. And the first thing you see, cool DeLorean. Clean and timeless design, stainless steel. <laughs> so, yeah, you could buy cars here, actually. You could buy pre-owned DeLoreans. Let's see what they're going for. Here's a 1981. Oh, they don't have prices. Well, maybe they do. Let's click view details. Nah, nah. Oh, bunch of pictures. Nah, this, they're not going to. You're probably going to have to contact them. Yeah, contact us. So let's see if we can find any information about the. Oh, new DeLorean production update. Let's click that one. All right, on DeLorean.com, the low-volume production of DeLorean cars. This is what I was talking about earlier. Let me um, make this a little bit bigger on my screen. Oh, actually, let's do this. All right. Uh, 
For nearly five decades, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration uh, has not distinguished between a company producing millions of cars and small business making uh, just a few custom cars. Uh, let's see here. Let's get to the part where in December 2015, the language from the Low Volume Motor Vehicle Manufacturers Act, which creates a reasonable regulatory structure allowing small companies to produce a limited number of completed rep rep replica motor vehicles. So that's an important part. It's got to be some a replica, right? Um, it can resemble the appearance of cars produced 25 years ago, ago or more. And it was inserted into the federal highway bill. And signed into law. The new law provides common sense regulatory relief for small businesses that would otherwise be treated as if they were producing millions of cars. The companies are required to register with the NHTSA and the EPA. So it's going to have modern day EPA laws. And file annual production reports. The replica vehicles will be subject to equipment standards, recalls, and remedies. Let's see, the vehicles must meet current Clean Air Act standards for the model year in which they are produced. The new law allows the low-volume vehicle manufacturer to meet the standards by installing an engine and emissions equipment produced by another automaker, automaker so the GM, Ford, etc., uh, for a similar EPA-certified vehicle configuration or a crate engine that has uh, been granted a California Air Resources Board or CARB uh -huh, cool, uh, executive order. This reasonable regulatory reform will also spur innovation, including advances in alternative fuel and green vehicle technologies. Dude, that would be cool. An electric or an electric DeLorean. DeLorean Motor Company has been working for time to identify a supplier for engines and other parts. This is where they're having trouble. Finding suppliers for engines and other parts and must be reproduced to, fill, uh, to facilitate this production for 2017. Hasn't happened. Um... It's possible, wait, a number of hurdles exist before production can begin, and we're still early in the process of determining the feasibility of moving forward. It's not even guaranteed. Further updates will be posted here. And that's a long time ago. We've been gone two years since we got an update. So, who knows where this thing is, guys? I mean, would you buy one? I was reading an article somewhere that said the car would be north of $100,000. Which is expensive. <laughs> That's more than a Corvette. So, and in fact, I don't know if I mentioned this earlier, but the initial DeLoreans are supposed to hit the dealerships at ten grand. I did mention that, but they they ended up hitting a twenty five grand, which was more than the Corvette. Just like what this sounds like they're gonna do now. I don't know. Broken promises. But dude. It's still such a cool car. <laughs> I think I got I got on like a DeLorean kick because I was uh I've been working on my car like every day. So I got the Trans Am. If you guys don't know, I found my old cool, my my old car from high school, which was a '91 Pontiac Trans Am. And uh, if you want to know how the hell I found it, listen to the last episode, episode 58. Um, so I got it back, and I'm immediately back to how I was 10, 15 years ago because I'm obsessed with it. And I love that car. It's like I just click with that car, right? To me, it's the easiest thing to work on. It's like Legos for me. And I was um, I was just sitting there thinking, like, it's weird that 
you know, when you say the, because I, I knew that, that John DeLorean had taken part in the launch of the Firebird initially. And, you know, he, he had nothing to do with my version of the Firebird. He was long gone by the time the third gen Firebirds were even being, were even thought of. And, uh, but I just, you know, you think back and you're like, D- it's kind of weird that he's known for a car that literally was in production for like a year and a half, like less than two years, the DeLorean was being produced before the company finally just declared bankruptcy. And it's weird that that's his legacy. I think it's strange because the GTO is such a successful, was such a successful car. And, you know, the GTO was such a big name for the Pontiac brand that they ended up relaunching it again in the mid-2000s. I think it was like 2004, 2005. The GTO came back. Came back as a weird alien creature impersonator. Like, I don't know what the hell Pontiac was thinking, but the name came back. It was really about the name. And, uh... And yeah, but he's not... I mean, maybe car people know that he helped, you know, design and launch the GTO. But uh, generally speaking, I mean, it's, it's his name. His name's all over the DeLorean. <laughs> the DMC-12. I, You know what I like about 80s cars, too? That the 80s DeLorean... The DeLorean does so well. Let me put the... Let me put the screen share back up and I'll describe it to you for the podcasters. See the shape of this? Like the car's so low. Like even my Firebird has this shape where it's like like modern cars are like flat on the side panels. So what I mean is imagine you're looking at a car and um, the, look at the doors on a car and they're very straight. Like they look like flat panels, especially on modern day cars. And I think they do that for safety reasons and I think there's airbags in there now. But back then... They didn't have to worry about that. <laughs> so they built these really slick, like rounded doors and cars looked really sporty back then. They looked very long and very low to the ground. And this is a Sally line. The Sally line on a car is basically the line that goes, imagine if the car, it's it goes right down the center of the car horizontally. So if you're looking at the side of a car, imagine looking at the profile of a car. Right in the middle somewhere is going to be what's called a Sally line. And honestly, new cars don't really have that, which is unfortunate because it's a really slick line. I know it sounds crazy, but as a car guy, I love old school cars that have a nice Sally line. And it, it really makes the car panels look very straight, very structured. And cars nowadays don't really have that. They're very flat. Like even look at the back of the DeLorean. Look how slanted this is here, right? Yeah, yeah. Sound like an old man. Back in my day, when they—this is even before my day—when they made cars the right way. All right, guys. Uh, so yeah, so I'll give you a little update on uh, the the bird cage. Hey, it's what I'm calling my garage—the bird cage because I got two firebirds in there. Um, I I'm very excited to say that now that I've had a couple weeks with my old Trans Am. My old high school car. It's actually not nearly in as bad a condition as I initially thought it was. I think when I initially saw it and got it home, I kind of thought to myself, oh, crap. (laughs) You know, it ain't pretty looking. But the good news is it's straight, meaning it's, uh, the body is straight. There's, there's no rust. There's really no major damage. It just needs paint. And I was also worried about the interior. It's missing some parts here and there. And unfortunately, parts... 
that are specific Firebird Pontiac parts from that time period aren't period aren't cheap, but I'll get them. I'll get them. It's not a big deal. More importantly, it runs like a it runs like the day that I sold it, uh, which is great because it runs it runs phenomenally. Uh, I was able to fix a few electrical comp- comp- components here and there, which is awesome for me because I hate uh, electrical. I just suck at it, and it's confusing. And I know if you are an electrical person out there, you're thinking, <laughs> idiot. I'm like, no. It's weird, <laughs> especially on cars. I don't know why. It should probably be easier on cars, but I get confused. But I was able to fix a few things. Uh, I was able to completely install my beautiful leather interior. Like, that's like the nicest part of the car right now is the leather interior. I got it all restored. Meaning I just, you know, I cleaned it and I shampooed it and then I conditioned it. And then I also, the driver's seat was actually given to me in parts. Because he had taken the he had taken the driver's seat apart for two reasons. One, the power motor was no longer working. And the uh, the stitching that where you sit on the seat was not torn, it was separated though. So I had to bring it to a local shop. And uh, they hooked me up, and they they fixed the stitching on it, and uh, and then I put everything back together, and everything's fine. And in doing that, so uh, it's kind of cool because in doing that, I'm remembering how I used to feel when I would I, I had no problem bringing this car to professionals when I needed help. And 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 the reason I say that is I haven't done that with my other car. So I have the 1991 when I had it in high school. And throughout college, I had no problem saying, for example, this car needs a catalytic converter. I'm going to bring it to somebody, right? Or at one point, I destroyed the entire brake system on the car. So I brought it to a professional to do the brakes. And I was fine with that. I did enough work on my own on that car to where I was like, you know what? I'm going to leave this to the pros, which is probably why I kept that car in such great condition. Because I knew what was out of my league, and I knew what I should handle or what I should in my mind, be capable of handling, you know, all the maintenance I did, I did all the oil changes and easy stuff like that. But when it came to my 81, the second generation, I just had it in my mind from the very beginning to never bring it to anybody, (laughs) which is kind of stupid, but also it's like in a weird way, it's kind of cool. That car has literally never been anywhere. I've done, I, I took it apart. And I've been putting it back to you. That's why it's taken me so damn long. It's like six years now. Remember in, in Home Improvement when Tim Allen took like the show to build that hot rod? It took him like eight seasons. That's kind of like where I'm at with this thing. And that's why it's like a Frankenstein of a car. My second generation. You know, I got a, I got a motor. I got the whole drivetrain out of a Camaro. No, I'm sorry. The motor's out of a C10. The transmission's out of like a Camaro or something Chevy. Might be a Corvette. It's got the body of a Trans Am. I mean, I'm just building this Frankenstein of a car, and I'm cool with it. Does it run? No. Is it a paperweight? Yeah. <laughs> but I'm doing it. <laughs> and I was never like that with the other fire. And you would think, if I had told you this, you would think it would have been the other way around because I really coddled, I babied my 91, my third gen, to the point where like I would literally spend some of my evenings in the garage just like polishing that stupid car like i just i don't know what it is about that car it's just something it 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 just really fascinates me it's a machine that i've clicked with and uh and i'm so glad to have it back it's really like 
you ever see the stories where like people lose their dog for a few years and then and then they that one way or another they are reunited with their dog and it's just like the dog remembers them it's just this emotional moment that's how i feel with this firebird <laughs> i'm like uh, like i think about when i go dude i literally think like when i go to bed at night and i'm like okay taylor's here and my dio's here and my trans am's in the garage and i can sleep now <laughs> got my wife my dog and my car <laughs> oh man but all right, guys. Hey, tell me if you like this uh, this format of the show. If I go through, I don't know, historical type stuff like that. I don't know. I don't know how interested how many of you are in, into cars. I think even it's more than just like a car story. It's an interesting story in general. I'm telling you, they're gonna make a movie about it. You heard, you heard it here first. Um, I think where I'm at right now, I'm like so into cars that. I think I want to do more episodes on cars. Our car episodes in the past were were pretty successful. And uh, it's what I'm into. And it's what I've been into for a long time now. Even more than sports. Really more than anything. If I wasn't doing what I do now professionally, I'd be doing something with cars. Without a doubt. Um, I happen to know some people around the industry too. You know, a couple mechanics, some salespeople, this and that. So I, I think I can get some cool car-related people on the show. Um, I even know a designer and I know a guy that sells, um, parts for, or he used to sell parts for Ferrari. So I think I could put together a pretty decent car podcast. Shit. I definitely can. I know it. But thanks for tuning in guys. I really appreciate it. Uh, we're, uh, we're crushing it. We're doing it. Um, again, you can find me on all the social networks. And uh, if you're watching the video, remember this is a podcast. You can listen in your car. And if you're already listening in your car, remember we have a YouTube and an XOTV channel. Cool. Thanks a lot, guys. We'll see you next time.